0: In 1999, there was a conflict here in the country of Kosovo between uh, ethnic Serbs and Albanians that left thousands of ethnic Albanians, Kosovars uh, dead, and almost a million who were refugees. In the summer of 1999, this conflict came to an end and people started to pour in uh, to this uh, war-torn country which was the opportunity for me and some others to first come here um, and do a mission which ended up being um, a full year of my life. Now when I came here, I had never seen this kind of devastation, physical devastation as well as you know, ultimately emotional devastation uh, Any time in my life. The closest thing I can think of even today is those of you who've seen images of what's happened in Ukraine, you know, uh, in you know, bombing of hospitals and, and the de- destruction, the physical destruction of, of homes and families and businesses. I just had never seen anything quite like it in my life. And this is the place I had come uh, with great enthusiasm to do ministry. Um, here uh, for a time. Now, one of the only Christians I met was a guy named uh, Isat Kisa, who had just become a Christian within perhaps a few months of the time uh, that I was here after he was a refugee in Albania uh, for a short time and came back here with his family. Today, as I'm here uh, with the team anyway, here in August, Esat, uh, 23 years later, Um, is now the pastor or co-pastor of one of the only two churches here in Paya, the town that I'm in. It's actually in the valley behind me, if you can even see it, the fourth largest in this country. But what I'd hoped to see when I came was this first pastor or first Christian that I met. I'd hoped to see many more of them uh, in the the months or even the year plus that I was here. But uh, that didn't happen. Things did not turn out exactly the way I thought they would. And I experienced some great uh, 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 disappointment and failure early on in my ministry and discovered, uh, had to discover that my heart was not in the right place. I needed to discover that my I was not really spiritually ready for the work that God had called me to do. I needed to have a greater vision of who God was in my life. I needed to have a greater sense of the people, who were the people that God had called me to? And really needed to have a better, uh, a, a, a better understanding of my own heart. And that leads me uh, to the passage I want to I talk about here this morning in the, in, for, the, for, the, for our time here on uh, the Sunday service. I, um, it's from Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, there is a story. I don't know that I've ever even heard a sermon. I don't know that I've ever given one. But it's a small passage in the middle of Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> in the ministry of Jesus where he's in this town called Bethsaida, <clears throat> which is up near um, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And they bring a blind man to Jesus, and because Jesus had been healing people. And Jesus is gracious, reaches out to the man, and is open to healing and he touches his eyes. And he says to the man, what do you see? And the man says, I see men as trees walking around. So clearly this blind man had been healed, but his healing um, was imperfect. So it said, Jesus touched the man a second time and said, now what do you see? And he said, I see um, perfectly clearly. And that's it, that's, there's no commentary on the, on the, the, the message. Now, it's, it's, it's never before or after has Jesus needed a second attempt to heal somebody. So the question, the obvious question is, what's this about what happened? And, you know, one one interpretation would be, well, Jesus was having a bad day, you know? But we know that's not the case because Jesus had multiple healings in the gospels. I forget exactly how many, um, but never did any of them require a second touch. There was never any doubt in the ministry of Jesus that he couldn't um, do what he wanted to do and all the other healings happened uh, in response to his word or his touch. So clearly we have to look somewhere else and you don't have to look very far in this passage to understand the meaning of this miracle. This was not about Jesus' inabilities to heal, but it really was about the disciples' um, imperfect uh, abilities or imperfect vision um, to see what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he was doing. It was really about them. In the imme- How do I know that? The immediate verses just before this miracle in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 20 say these words. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Okay. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So Jesus is warning them. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did you pick up? 12, they answered. And then I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 just earlier in this chapter. How many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Then, verse 22, they brought a blind man to Jesus. So what's the point here? The problem was not with Jesus' touch. The problem was with the disciples' perception and understanding. He says in this passage, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And, they, and they're talking about bread. What is the yeast of the Pharisees? It's just an image. It's a, it's a, it's a way of talking about a hard heart. Because think about the Pharisees. We, 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 we often think of them in a one-dimensional way. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They weren't bad guys. They were, in a manner of speaking, religious good guys. They were people who were devoted to the Old Testament. They were people who were devoted to waiting for the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, standing right in front of them, they couldn't see him. Think about that. These were people, if anyone ought to have known who Jesus was by connecting the dots of what the Bible promised, the Old Testament, it would have been the religious leaders, these people called the Pharisees, but they were looking we're not at the Bible and not at a sermon looking Jesus Christ right in the face, listening to his teachings, and they didn't see him. Why? Jesus said, because they had a hard heart. Okay. This, the greatest evil to a faith in Jesus Christ, the greatest danger or enemy to me, to you, this is why this passage is here, is a hard heart. It's what does it mean? It has many forms when you think about a hard heart, what does it mean uh, today? Bitterness, right? Now, who knows what comes into your life or what comes into my life? We all live in a broken world. But let me tell you that what it, what, what it, what it, the experience you can ask yourself this morning if you have a hard heart. It's bitterness because of things that happened or didn't happen in your life. It's, it's, a, it's a sense of indifference. What a horrible thing. What would you have a, to, to be indifferent about what God may or may not be doing. Indifferent about the struggles that's going on in the world. Indifferent about the suffering in the world. Bitterness comes in, indifference. Uh, listen, a disbelief, ask yourself this morning, in God's love for your life. A disbelief or, or a weakened belief that God can still do something amazing in your life. These are all signs of a hard heart. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to you and me, Okay, that's why this passage is here. We are his disciples. Beware of a hard heart. Guard your heart, the book of Proverbs says, says, because out of it come all the issues of life. That's saying, be careful, guard your heart. I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, I came here with great enthusiasm 23 years ago. I met my first believer, Esau Kitsa, who's, uh, who's my friend to this day. He owns the building we're in. It's a great a man and now a, a pastor of a church. Um, but I had great failure and disappointment. I had come, what was I doing when I first came here Um, with my team? We were doing um, what you would expect we'd be doing in a war-torn situation. We were building roofs. We were building homes from the ground up, but we were also giving out blankets. We were giving out stoves in the dead of winter. I moved here in the dead of winter, and we were um, giving, doing all kinds of practical help, but all along the way, Of course, we were Christians. This was the motivation. We would, at the end of that construction project, at the end of that food delivery, we would take some time and talk to people about Jesus. Just maybe pray for them. This is a Muslim country. And we did that. And naturally, I mean, if you were here for a season, you you might go home like I did many, many nights and think, this is going very, very well. Because people, even in these very horrible situations or out in the midst of the devastation they had they had inherited and lived through, they were sitting quietly, you know, a cup of coffee and eagerly listening to the words that we said, receiving the prayers that we gave. But of course, you know, um, they were also receiving the gifts that we gave. And one occasion uh, when I was doing this, uh, there was a, a young man who was, uh, one of the sons of the uh, family that I was in the, f- the parents of the family he was young maybe just to early 20s but he was living in Europe like a lot of young people do here they leave and he had left he was before the war he was already in Europe doing studies and working and he came back to help his family but because of that he spoke perfect English and he said he said I'll translate for you for this time in the middle of my little um, you know um, conversation about the things of God and he said do you mind if I give you a piece of advice it was so strange because The other people couldn't understand what he was saying. And I said, why, sure. He said, listen, we appreciate what you're doing. We're grateful. I think my family's grateful for all that you've done. and want you to know that. But they really don't have ears to hear what you're saying right now, right? He said, you know, uh, they they don't even so much care about the house that's imperfect that they're living in or the fact that they don't always have enough food every day. The only thing that they care about right now, uh, friend, is the people that they've lost right the it, the wound is so fresh so he was just telling me that to say listen i don't want to discourage you i want to help you but you're not really connecting he didn't say these words but he was this was his point you're not really connecting with the people in this room and i'll tell you it was it was a it was a huge help to me but it was a great cause in the moment of of um great discouragement i mean i just that season it really went on for a little bit i went back and i thought to myself what am i doing here right this was my sense of all this effort all these what i thought i was sort of making deposits in the right way and this guy was saying listen if you keep this up you know you're you're not going to it's not going to get you where you want to go and i realized if i was ever going to be of any help to these people i needed to truly um, know who they were. I needed to care about what they cared about um, first before they were going to care about anything that I had to say. And it drove me, you know it was, a, it was a it was it was a season, I don't know how long it was, maybe a month or so of just sometimes I would just get up during that season and not even go anywhere. And it just drove me deeper into my faith. I almost felt like I was sort of deconstructing and reconstructing my faith. God, if this isn't what you want me to do, what do you want me to do? And it was a season of just um, quiet listening, deepening my dependence on God, listening and reading primarily the Psalms, and I, until I could come to a place where I just kind of was empty-handed. And then, you know, what this man said to me rung true. And I said, okay, Lord, how do I care about what they care about? And the only way I could care about, what did they care about? They cared about, in this case, the thing that was most associated with their pain, which was the loss of people. And then we said, okay, what can we do? And they said, well, what we're trying to do uh, in so many words, um, Rob, we don't need you to build us a church. We'd love for you to help us build a memorial to um, honor um, those who we've lost. And I remember the moment having that feeling thinking, what a strange, I didn't think I came to Kosovo uh, with my little, my partners that we would, I don't know, raise funds to build a big gravestone. But I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you think we should do, this is what we'll do. And we did through friends in America, uh, home back home, we raised money. This all happened over some months. And I remember not only giving them the money and we just said, listen, we wanna, we wanna care about what you care about. But that turned out, I would have never seen this coming, that single action to result in some of the greatest platform for ministry I'd ever had in that whole year. And, and it's kind of why I'm still here today, because a few months later, the whole country of Kosovo, on the one year anniversary of this, where the crisis really hit hard, okay, it was May of 2000. They were having outdoor opportunities to honor and, and memorialize the dead and and to talk about the future. And, um, but it was a way to honor those who'd given their lives. And they, these things were huge. And the one village where I had been working just happened to be a very special place because of some military leaders that had come from this village. And this gathering was thousands of people. The media, it was it was a big deal. and they said, Rob, would you be willing to speak? Um, I'm thinking, well, we, why would they want me? I was a, a missionary, a no-name missionary, but it was because of the investment that we had made. And I'll never forget the opportunity to stand in front of all these people and 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 read, um, I think it was the 10th Psalm, and say some words about the God of the Bible and his that he did know what they were going through and that he did care for them. And, and that lesson not only brought me through um, my time in Kosovo, but really has been a lifelong lesson. You might say in a manner of speaking in that season, I too got a second touch, right? Now when I came here from Jesus, back to, the, to, the, to this miracle healing, I didn't come here. I was a Christian. I was only a Christian, I was a minister of a church in in Texas. So I didn't come here um, looking to meet Jesus. I came here looking to serve Jesus. But I realized that my vision needed some correction. My heart needed some adjustment. And really through this experience, is why it's so resonant in my life all these years later, I, in a manner of speaking, received a second touch. Another opportunity for God to come into my life to humble my heart and, and clarify my vision about who God was, about my own heart, really, where I was, and the mission that he called me to serve and called you to serve. I mentioned when I came here, Asat was the only Christian I knew, Asat Kitsa. And he said to me, he was recounting his testimony to even us to us in the team, and he said, listen, when I came back from Albania, <clears throat> he'd become a Christian. He said, as far as I knew, the whole year I was here, he said, Rob, I was only one of really four Christians. Now there may have been more, but that's all he knew. And there was only one church that had existed before the war. I'm talking about a, 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 an evangelical church of a kind. And it was at that time it was run by um, a, a Serbian, a great uh, man that I never met, but he had to leave when the war came and the church went dormant. And eventually Assad and another uh, man, Ghani, they put this church together But it was the only church in town, very, very small, and there was only a handful of Christians. Well, today, 23 years later, there are um, about 40 churches all over this small country, still small. And the best conservative estimate is about 12,000 believers. Now, that to you and I may not sound like a lot. But when you think about where this country was, really, a, really, a, at this point, a really no Christian witness, it's kind of an amazing thing, right? So God is a small, it was a small beginnings, but God is doing great things and there is still a lot of work to do. And today, there are 20 cities that have a gospel witness like Paya, but there's 18, that have no church plant whatsoever and likely no believers. So a lot of good work has been done, a lot of good work needs to be done, but my hope is, is even as one church, Browncroft, that we can have a part in what God is doing here in this country um, at this time. Let me, let me uh, close with one story of just what happened to us this week, giving an example of how God has worked over the course of 23 years. There was a moment when we got here that there we um, had a change of plans and our missionary friend said, listen, there is an interest of some people up in this um, remote area that would like to meet you and that we have met recently and we'd like for you to meet them. So we go up and drive up to this place and, and it's a beautiful, gorgeous place. And we sit down in this fancy um, restaurant. And it turned out these men, there was, was some maybe some women there too, these leaders of this area, they were lifelong Muslims living in this remote area. And they had said to the missionary previously, we'd like to know more about Jesus. He'd heard that through a friend. And, and so we sat down with them. It was fascinating. You know, it's like, I remember thinking of Paul on the Macedonian call, you know, come over and tell us about Jesus. It was that kind of a thing. And we're sitting with these people having some coffee and after we small talk, they said, okay, what would you like to talk about? And they were very thoughtful and serious, non-Christians, Muslim people, and they said, um, I can just remember some of the questions. Can you tell me the difference between the Bible and the Quran? What a fascinating question, and we talked about it. You know, um, what, what is the difference between um, Catholics and Protestants? What is the Protestant Reformation? We talked about it. And then the question we probably spent the most time on was, what is the gospel, you know? um, Really, what does that actually mean? I mean, it was unbelievable. Not anybody asking those questions would be interesting to me. But here in a Muslim country, for people who their whole life long, their life experience, their whole life, they've been um, Muslims. But I think, like in a lot of places, not deeply practicing, if at all, but that's all they knew. And they've heard now, especially in the last 23 years, about Jesus, there are churches here. It's, it's actually um, legal to, to have churches. It's a much different experience. They're saying, tell us about Jesus. And it was really one of the most fascinating conversations. And I said, so finally I just said to them, hey, our, you know, after this long conversation, I said, because um, I'd never met these people, I said, listen, let me just ask you a question. Are you a Christian? You know, because, and they said, well, no, we're not. Um, they, they had enough understanding to say, we're not Christians, but we're very interested, which had great integrity to it. And so we talked, we prayed, and we left. But I thought, what a great opportunity. And, and what one of the guys said before we left, <clears throat> as he was telling about this area, he said, listen, there is this whole area, it's kind of a mountain region, is made up of 13 <clears throat> villages or, or, or large glorified neighborhoods. They all have different names. And many of the people in this room are from these thirteen areas. It's the way they kind of run it, this district. And he said, "I said, well, what are you interested in?" And he said, "We're interested in." Um, he didn't say these words, but we're kind of we're kind of tired. We're not interested in, in Islam. We have mosques. We we it's our it's our history, but it's not our it's not where our interests lie. And we'd like to we'd like to build churches. They were thinking that's how you become a Christian. I said, "Well, that's interesting." we we can talk about that perhaps or these missionary friends can talk about it. we had two local pastors with us but i said the most important thing is not building the church um but building the church within you know no coming. so we talked about it we prayed about it but i just shared that story to say this is where god is working in this culture today and and it renewed my heart and it leaves me to my my closing challenge to all of us, right? No one walked in, the, what these people needed was the first touch of Jesus. They con- admittedly are not Christians. My sense is the vast majority of all of us here today listening to me, you're Christians. There's been a time in your life, whether it was last week or <clears throat> many decades ago, decades ago, where Christ came into your life. He He opened your eyes. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and he made you alive, right? In a sense, he touched you and you could see spiritually. But like the disciples who were already Christians in a manner of speaking in Mark Mark chapter eight, um, we have the danger of a hard heart, right? There's the danger of, as Jesus said, do you still not see. You participated in the feeding of the 5,000. You participated, that's what Jesus say in the feeding of the 4,000. You guys are right in the midst of that miracle and yet you still don't understand what is going on in your life. You don't fully understand who I am and therefore you're not seeing the world, right? The mission people I see clearly the way that you should. And I, that's my, my, I would like us all to think about as I close today, see yourself, I'll see myself, as the blind man in this story, someone who has experienced the touch of Jesus, has become a Christian, but maybe isn't seeing clearly, who needs a renewal of your vision, renewal, a second touch of Jesus, a deeper encounter with Christ, so that you can see God in a truer, clearer way, you can see your own heart in a truer, clearer way, but see the world, right? Have a clear, a greater uh, clarity on the mission for the people around us who don't know him uh, as we move into the sea. So that's my hope, that's my prayer. Uh, look forward to seeing you uh, very soon.